0: The Lord be with you, and also with you. Lift up your hearts, we lift them up to the Lord. Where the dawn of the east meets the twilight of the west, and the cool of the north touches the calm of the south, and the transcendent power of God touches earth in the humility of love in Christ, here and now where the head of the Charles reaches out to the heart of the country, we gather for ordered worship. The liturgy, music, and homily this Lord's Day are offered in the praise of God for our congregation here within the walls of Marsh Chapel, for our radio congregation across New England at WBUR 90.9 FM, and for our internet listenership now and later around the globe at WBUR.org. We welcome your prayerful material support, your written or emailed responses your self-selection of forms of leadership and service in our midst, and as the Spirit moves, come Sunday, your presence with us in worship. This is the day the Lord has made. We shall rejoice and be glad in it. As we are able, may we stand in the praise of God. Almighty and everlasting God, in Christ you have revealed your glory among the nations. Preserve the works of your mercy, that your church throughout the world may persevere with steadfast faith in the confession of your name, through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Amen please be seated. My life flows on an endless song throughout Earth's lamentations. I hear the clear though far-off hymn that hails a new creation. No storm can break my inmost calm when to that rock I'm clinging. If love is Lord of heaven and earth, how can I keep from singing? Beloved, in this moment of pause and prayer, of confession, we cleanse our hearts by the grace and pardon of God to be sure that the lesser loyalties do not occlude or eclipse the one great loyalty, thou lover of God in Christ by spirit. If love is Lord of heaven and earth, how can we keep from singing? As the choir guides us, May we pray. Hear good news, as Mr. John Wesley, out of whose Methodist movement was born, Boston University in 1839, asked directly and singly of those in ministry with him, Do you know God to be a pardoning God? God, a pardoning, forgiving, loving, gracious God. Here, good news, if we confess our sins, God, who is faithful and just, will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thanks be to God.
1: A lesson from Paul's first epistle to the Thessalonians, chapter 1, verses 1 through 10. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the Church of the Thessalonians, and God the Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace. We always give thanks to God for all of you and mention you in our prayers, constantly remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers and sisters beloved by God, that he has chosen you because our message of the gospel came to you not in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction just as you know what kind of persons we proved to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord. For in spite of persecution, you received the word with joy inspired by the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For the word of the Lord has sounded forth from you not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but in every place your faith in God has become known, so that we have no need to speak about it. For the people of those regions report about us what kind of welcome we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve a living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the wrath that is coming. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
2: Psalm 99 with the Antiphon. Lord is king, let the peoples tremble. He sits enthroned upon the cherubim, let the earth quake. The Lord is great in Zion, he is exalted over all the peoples. Let them praise your great and awesome name, holy is the Lord. Mighty king, lover of justice, you have established equity. You have executed justice and righteousness in Jacob. Extol the Lord, O oh God. Worship at his footstool. Holy is the Lord. Moses and Aaron were among his priests. Samuel also was among those who called on his name. They cried to the Lord, and he answered them. He spoke to them in the pillar of cloud. They kept his decrees and the statutes that he gave them. O oh Lord our God, you answered them. You were a forgiving God to them, but an avenger of their wrongdoings. Extol the Lord our God and worship at his holy mountain. Surely the Lord our God is holy.
3: The Gospel of our Lord, according to St. Matthew, chapter 22, verses 15 through 22. Glory to you, O Lord. Then the Pharisees went and plotted to entrap him in what he said. So they sent their disciples to him, along with the Herodians, saying, Teacher, we know that you are sincere, and teach the way of God in accordance with the truth, and show deference to no one. For you do not regard people with partiality. Tell us, then, what you think. Is it lawful to pay taxes to the emperor or not? But Jesus, aware of their malice, said, Why are you putting me to the test, you hypocrites? Show me the coin you used for tax. And they brought him a denarius. Then he said to them, Whose head is this and whose title? They answered, The emperors. Then he said to them, Give therefore to the emperor the things that are the emperors, and to God the things that are God's. When they heard this, they were amazed, and they left him and went away.
0: Please be seated. We pause for a moment to be thankful for the chance to gather how heartening it is for your minister and your preacher to see you, to hear you singing the hymns of faith, and to see here and now for a moment a glimpse of where you shall be Tuesday and Thursday and Friday. We should identify, for those listening from afar, that not quite every shout you may hear this morning is in response to the sermon. Not every bell rung is a sign of faith acclaimed, and not every other sound that may be wafting our way from across the River Charles is exactly directed at us. This is, after all, one of those great four weekends in Boston. Not Patriot's Day and not the 4th of July and not First Night, but this is the head of the Charles, uh, from which we greet you each Lord's Day, and we're thankful for that. It does bring to mind a dinner just a few days ago among some of us. This will be a digressive opening uh, that my son has taught me to tell people when I'm about to say something that might be funny or that I think is funny, to let you know that I'm saying so, as you've heard me say. We sat for dinner and remembered the pastor who was sent from Boston to become a leader, a bishop in the city of Pittsburgh, and he was greeted by the fathers and mothers of Pittsburgh who said, welcome, pastor, to this great city where the mighty Monongahela River and the mighty Allegheny River flow together in a great confluence to form the very mighty Ohio River. We're glad you're here. He thought for a minute, he said, well, uh, I'm glad to be here. I'm just a wee lad from South Boston, but I am glad to make your acquaintance. After all, I come from Boston, where the great and mighty Mystic River flows together with the great and mighty Charles River to form the Atlantic Ocean. (laughs) It's good to greet you. Let us pray. May the words spoken and heard, O Lord, if not perfect, at least be acceptable in thy sight, O thou our strength and our redeemer. Amen. What a friend we have in Paul, Paul, apostle, whose mighty voice has rolled down through the ages, bringing us the good news in all its stark simplicity. Christ the Lord is risen. Paul, apostle raised in Tarsus, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee of the tribe of Benjamin, a defender of the traditions of the elders, and so, to begin, a persecutor of the church. Paul, apostle who rode to Damascus and on the way was blinded and there heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul! Why persecutest thou me? Paul, apostle, who in that blinding encounter with the risen Lord gave himself up, pronounced a sort of death sentence over himself, and so died with Christ and walked henceforth in newness of life. Paul, apostle, who believed that God had raised Jesus from the dead and so lived moment by moment thinking, Who knows what will happen next? Paul, apostle, who cared for those first few Christians, those first few urban Christians, and worried about them and grew angry with them for they so easily lost this vision that since God had raised Jesus from the dead, who knew what would happen next? Paul, apostle who challenged the Thessalonians, saying, This is the will of God, your sanctification. He taught them about death. Paul, who challenged the Galatians, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. He taught them about circumcision. Paul, who challenged the Philippians, saying, Let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel. He taught them about service Paul who challenged the Romans, Be ye not conformed, but be ye transformed by the renewal of your minds. He taught them about the law. Paul who challenged the Corinthians saying, Be reconciled, for the form of this world is passing away. He taught them about culture. Paul who challenged Philemon May your goodness not be by compulsion, but of your own free will. He taught him about power. Paul, apostle whose mighty voice speaks to us today in 1 Thessalonians 1 to 10, the oldest passage in the New Testament from the year 50 of the common first century of the common era whose mighty voice speaks to us, ever answering the question of what we should do by saying something first about what God has done. Our faith springs not from ourselves, but from God, who is the giver of both life and faith. Paul reminds us in various words all through these letters, and especially in Thessalonians chapter by chapter, of the coming of the Lord, that the form of this world is passing away, as he writes elsewhere. And what else could we expect from a God who raises dead messiahs? Who knows what will happen next? The future is as open as we, in faith, will allow it to be. We may recognize in Paul a form of thought that differs utterly from our own. If Paul did retain some of his formative Jewish worldview, the part he closely retained here and elsewhere was his inherited apocalyptic eschatology, wherein the resurrection must be, he reasoned, the beginning of the end. It's a sign. The end is here coming soon. Hence, preaches Paul, this world is passing away. Paul's worldview, his apocalyptic eschatology, is not our worldview. Paul's world, though, is very much ours as well. So this morning we shall need to imagine and to dream and to interpret are verses from Thessalonians and also from Matthew, in a new way, in a new time. New occasions teach new duties. Time makes ancient good uncouth. One must upward still and onward. Who would keep abreast of truth? So Martin Luther labored in 1517 and Elie Wiesel in 1945 and Thomas Merton and Martin Luther King through 1968. No, we may not share Paul's worldview, but we share his world. And so we may benefit from his friendship and practice alongside him his sort of faith. What a friend you have in Paul. Paul befriends us by bequeathing two kinds, two shades of hope and hope we do need in a time of humiliation and what a time it is this decade of diminishment so let us survey our humiliation and then let us convey our hope together in the gospel of Matthew chapter 22 Jesus meets us between Caesar and God He is ensnared, or nearly so, in a trap set between conservative Herodians and liberal zealots. In good rabbinic fashion, he responds to a question with a question. Render to Caesar what is Caesar's, this little bitty coin, and render to God what is God's, your very life. That is, we are not alone in history to have suffered civic or cultural humiliation. As Christian people trying by day and week to walk by faith, not by sight, in an era of daily outrage and regular civic humiliation, we know something of the difficulty here, presented in Matthew 22, and something more, perhaps, than we knew a year ago today. Sometimes you have to learn things the hard way. Sometimes you have to learn things the hard way. The preacher is not free to read the Bible, but not the newspaper. The preacher is not free to preach without reference to civil society, culture, and the social conditions of life which have pervasive, profound impact and influence on the baptized and on the unbaptized alike. So let us hold and finger the coin of Caesar. Even as we are touched by the finger of God, let us take stock. This past summer at the Chautauqua Institution, we had the pleasure of learning from, dining with, and speaking to Stella Rimmington, the former head of British Intelligence, MI5, 1992 to 1996. She was the first woman to lead that agency, a television drama, I believe, was produced about her, starring Judy Dench. She was bristling and candid regarding current global perils. She proffered no immediate or ready recommendation for resolution to the dangers posed by North Korea. She offered no optimism about the current U.S. president and leadership. She frankly, bluntly admitted the United States and British intelligence failures that led to the tragedy in Iraq Iraq in 2003, the mistaken misinformation about weapons of mass destruction. She suggested that Theresa May might want to warm up a little. In particular, she worried extensively in rumination about the Internet, about the technology controlling so much about us. That is, she offered no encouragement, no bright forecast for the near-term global future. To conclude, she said, as you might expect, nonetheless, the best we can do is keep calm and carry on. Well, well might we cherish that reminder, for we have entered a decade, at least, of difficulty from which there is no rapid escape, no ready-present remedy. In local, personal, idiosyncratic, and individual ways, we we each and we all can but soldier on. The fruit of the spirit, hupomone, patience, long-suffering, will need to be our daily manna, our daily cloud, our night fire, our nourishment that is more than bread alone. There is no quick fix for the regrettable condition upon us enveloping us now with a full year of evident humiliation heaped upon culture, nation, and globe and our shared need to consider the opportunity to recant as a people to say in prayer what we meant by that is not a year's evidence now in what it means. We are judged not by our intentions, but by our consequences. What it means is what it does, what it does to others and to all. By the numbers now, here is one quantification, one calculation of our current condition. Eleven lines parsimoniously cut from four full pages of similar lines, number by number. Seven. Muslim nations immigrants initially, initially banned in January. 54 billion dollars increase in military spending, 10 percent, in February. 2,000 legal U.S. citizens seeking Canadian refugee status in Montreal in March. 59 Tomahawk missiles that killed 10 Syrians in April. One the number of FBI directors fired in May. 10,000, the number of transgender soldiers already serving in the military in June. 40,000, the number of Boy Scouts in Jamboree addressed in July. One, the number killed Heather Hire, amid good people on all sides, in Charlottesville in August. 50, the percent of proposed tax cuts accruing to the top 1% in September. 11, the number of paper towel rolls tossed at poor Puerto Ricans in October. Zero, the number of Planned Parenthood centers open in Iowa today. 24 million, the number under threat any day to lose health care every day. You now need to keep your own list. An honest calculation by the numbers or in some other fashion most effective for you is a requirement for living today. You owe it to your future to record, collate, compile, journalize, narrate, and describe as Victor Klemperer did in I Will Bear Witness in the 1930s to see and hear and to note what you see and hear. It seems that we have temporarily sold our birthright as a country for a mess of ethnic nationalist pottage and make no mistake, there are no guarantees, no guarantee that civility and custom once shredded can somehow be restored somehow survive daily outrage and humiliation. No guarantee that the single human so empowered, and tragically so, the most powerful in that sense, will not push the nuclear button at 5 a.m. No guarantee that having as a nation chosen this condition, this humiliation, We will come to seek and find recantation and forgiveness. No guarantee that many, especially and tragically, those most vulnerable, will not give up on institutions and slide into the mire of anarchy. No guarantee. No guarantee at all. No, we may not share Paul's worldview, but we know quite well his world so we may benefit from his friendship this morning and practice his faith this week. What a friend we have in Paul. He befriends us by bequeathing us two kinds of hope, and hope we do need in a time of humiliation. A word of faith in a pastoral voice toward a common hope. So having surveyed our humiliation, let us convey our hope. Two shades of hope abide. Hope has two beautiful daughters, said Augustine. Anger and courage. One realized, one unrealized. One of John and one of Mark. One for today and one for tomorrow. One from Bultmann and one from Niebuhr. Here is the first, one shade of hope. In faith you can face the world free from the world with a righteous and a realized indignation, if you will, tempered with full humility. Even a kind of anger, if tempered with humility. That daily form of hope is yours by decision, by choice, through a commitment to live by faith, the faith of Christ. And here is your invitation, your word of faith, pastoral voice, common hope, this hour, Hick et nunc. We may rely not on ourselves alone, but upon God who raises the dead. We may face the world free from the world. We may lean into the future free of the burden of past worry. We may choose to live on tiptoe. We can compose every day with brilliance as if it were our last, which in a way, by the way, each one is. That is, the person of faith who overhears the distress down deep in this world, so deep that others maybe don't hear it, does not rely on herself to soothe it. She knows there is one Savior and she isn't him. We have a friend in Paul who preaches Christ crucified. And why does he do so in this way? Because he expects that the form of this world is passing away. Who knows? God has raised Jesus what will happen next? For Paul, this meant a daily, excited, imminent expectation of the turn of the ages, a new heaven and earth, the end of time, and the beginning of a new era. For our sake, it is a blessing that Paul's own timeline was a little fuzzy, otherwise, we wouldn't be here. But the spiritual truth with, which lives in this passage is existentially and in reality the same. Every day, is our last, so Paul reminds us and so tries to shake us from our stupor. This is the day the Lord has made. In all of life, in the fullness of faith, there lies this strange daily new potential, potential for something different. So that when things go south, let us not live in the form of this world in despair and doubt and dread, but in the form of the coming world, hope and freedom and a sense of God's awesome potential, or Bultmann so put it. Only Christ can give the charismatic character to everything which is taught as Christian. Therefore, Christ is correctly preached not where something is said about him, but only where he himself becomes the proclaimer, may it be so. The resurrection is simply the preaching of the gospel when it is heard. Boltmann helped us see the present hope in Paul, facing the world free from the world, one hope. Here is a second shade of hope. Reinhold Niebuhr, the great liberal, liberal, still a great tradition still affirmed from this pulpit if not elsewhere sore oppressed by nationalism to the right and anarchy to the left he and that tradition can help us see the future hope in paul both shades of hope require a translation from apocalyptic expectation into insights for living today the hope both individual and collective, present and future, Boltmann and Niebuhr. Niebuhr left behind from his youth the optimistic and utopian tones of social gospel teaching. Niebuhr left behind later the narrow and prideful tones of strict socialism. Gradually, he found his way as we will need to do again in the next decade toward a faithful Christian realism. He found a realistic way toward hope, and that is our work today as well. We too need to beware the sentimental optimism about the essential goodness of men without realizing how evil good men can be. We too need a check not on policies, but on pride to guide men in a mood of dialectical humility. We too need to realize that all justice rests on a balance of power. So, beloved, you can love, love one another as Christ loves you toward an unseen horizon, a far-off land, a land flowing with milk and honey. You can even hope against hope. But let those who rejoice... Do so as if they were not rejoicing. Let us rejoice not in the form of this world, but in the form of the world to come. Let us meet each day with courage as we touch and are touched in the presence of the divine potential, the raw possibility of the new in every day. Let us live on tiptoe. Let us live each day as if it were our last. Let us greet the hour and its struggle From a certain distance, and over every loud, booming statement, there is still a misty question mark. You know, it's not always clear what is bad news or good. What can seem cause for the greatest rejoicing can also carry hurt and vice versa. God's time is not our time. God's purpose is not equivalent to any one of ours. God's justice is not the same as our own. God's freedom far surpasses yours and mine. A crushing defeat can, in God's time and with patience, become the source and the medium of great victory. Think of Franklin Roosevelt. Where would our country be today without his life's strange mixture of rejoicing and suffering and struggle and perseverance? Is it not odd that the one president who appeared to be the least vigorous was, in fact, the most, who knew that to lead you have to love, to save you have to serve? So let those who buy and sell do so as if they had no goods, not in the form of this world, but in the form of the world to come, remembering Augustine's warning, we use what we should love, and we love what we should use, We use people and love things when we are meant to love people and use things. Yes, use the things of this world, buy and sell, let us do so, but not in the form of this world, not in a grasping selfishness, not in an anxious pursuit, not in such strangely intense attention. Rather, with a plum, with a kind of spiritual disregard, with an inner freedom, face the world free from the world. About your car, your house, your wardrobe, your bank account, your things, just ask yourself every day, who owns what? Do I own it or does it own me? Do I own it or does it own me? Beloved Sersum corda hear the gospel. What a friend we have in Paul. Paul who wrote in hope of two shades to the Thessalonians, saying, We give thanks to God always for you all, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.
4: As we come together in a time of prayer, I invite you to find an attitude and posture of prayer, whether remaining seated, standing, or coming to kneel at the altar rail, as our choir leads us in our call to prayer. Lead me, Lord. Almighty and everlasting God, we know that you are with us night and morning, and we are confident that with each new day, you meet us again with your love, your strength, and your comfort. So we come before you this morning, God, and we worship you with our hearts, our minds, and our voices. We gather to listen for a word from you in scripture and in sermon but we are also grateful that the gospel comes to us not in word only, but in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. Whether through the hymns we sing, the prayers we speak, the movements of our bodies as we stand and sit and bow, or through the quiet of our souls, We ask in this sacred hour that the Holy Spirit would work within us to give us the power and conviction to go forth into our week. Emmanuel, we lift up those whose presence reminds us of the divine spark in every being in your creation. We call to mind those saints, the people who have taught us by precept and example how to be more like you, the people who have inspired us to joy by the Holy Spirit, the people through whom we come to know your love incarnate in the world. We lift before you this morning the saints joining our community today who are making a public commitment to a life of faith lived out in this community at Marsh Chapel. May we who welcome them offer an example that is worthy of imitation and give us all the wisdom, the strength, and the courage to become imitators of all the saints, so that on the great lasting day of eternity we may be counted among their communion. Holy Comforter, we pray for those who know a share of the suffering of our brothers and sisters from long ago in Thessalonica. We pray for those whose afflictions are physical, who feel the burden of illness labor-weariness, hunger, and injury. We pray for those whose afflictions are psychological, who are weighed down by loss, anxiety, humiliation, and mourning. We pray for those whose afflictions are spiritual, for those who have doubts, who worry about those who have already fallen asleep, who feel the weight of despair. We pray for communities that are in affliction, whether recovering from natural disaster, facing violence, experiencing poverty, or encountering persecution. May all who meet us know what a welcome they have in us as we and they await your Son from heaven. For all these persons we turn to you, for you are a true and living God, and we lean upon you for comfort, healing, and peace. We pray all these things in the almighty power of God in the strong name of Jesus and the quickening presence of the Holy Spirit. Amen. And now with the confidence of children of God, we are bold to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread.
5: good morning welcome to marsh chapel a heart in the heart of the city and a service in the service of the city located at 735 commonwealth avenue in boston broadcast on national public radio at 90.9 wbur and wbur.org and available online at bu.edu chapel or wherever you find your podcasts we are a big tent community birthed by the big tent tradition of united methodism open and welcoming to all. And here, all means all. Little children and retirees, faithful Republicans, lifelong Democrats, and Green Party curious alike, we pray that whoever you are, wherever you are from, and whoever you love, you may find community here. To assist in that process, if you are in the nave, take a moment, add your name to the red pad near the center aisle, pass it to your neighbor along your pew and then back toward the center learn a new name and greet a new friend today if you listen from afar send us an email at chapel at bu.edu or give us a call at 617-353-3560 again the office number is 617-353-3560 three brief announcements and two invitations this morning Next Sunday, we celebrate Reformation Sunday, and on October 31st, we observe the 500th anniversary of the Protestant Reformation. On October 31st, 1517, Martin Luther nailed 95 theses to the doors of Wittenberg Cathedral to protest against the corrupt practices within the Catholic Church at that time, spurring what we now know as the Protestant Reformation. We invite you to join us for the 500th anniversary of the Reformation with a series of interactive educational opportunities as well as a few moments for food and fellowship throughout the day on October 31st. Included among them is a film screening, Luther and the Reformation, at 6 p.m. here in Marsh Chapel. Join us for a screening of the PBS travel host Rick Steves' film, Luther and the Reformation. A lifelong Lutheran, Steves produced the film to commemorate the 500th anniversary of the Protestant Reformation. Learn more about the history of the Reformation and its religious, political, and social effects on the world. A brief discussion follows the film, and German-themed dinner is provided. Uh, Finally, an announcement for following weeks. Uh, A special coffee hour titled Break the Chains is being presented by the Abolitionist Chapel today on Sunday, November 12th at noon following the service. You're invited to join us for resources, samples, and internet links for welcome and guilt-free holiday gifts and entertaining. Enjoy a complimentary fair trade soup bread, coffee, tea, and dessert lunch. Learn from a brief and hopeful presentation on modern-day slavery. Consider easy ways you may make a difference to break the chains of millions of women, men, and children in the U.S. and around the world. For more information, please contact the Reverend Victoria Hart Gaskell or contact the chapel office. Ms. Heidi Freimanitz-Kortz, Marsh Chapel Director of Hospitality, has a word for us about stewardship.
4: Greetings to you all. Please notice that beginning this Sunday, pledge cards for estimates of 2018 annual giving are available. They've been put in your bulletins as well this morning. Pledge cards will continue to be available through Pledge Sunday, which is December 3rd. You may also pledge online at bu.edu chapel slash stewardship. Your annual estimate of giving helps us to plan our 2018 ministry. We are grateful for your generous support.
5: And finally, today we receive new members. Those publicly affiliating with Marsh Chapel are invited to come forward during the final verse of the last hymn, In addition, any and all who may be so moved to join our membership today may also come forward and be received into membership this morning. Finally, as the ushers wait upon those in the nave, let us remember it is both a joy and a discipline to be a giver.
4: Almighty God, creator of the world, who fills the earth with life and beauty, we ask you to release your children from addiction and sorrow. Show us how to cherish our fleeting existence so that future generations prevail. Through Jesus Christ, we pray.
0: It, this is a joyful moment as we celebrate the reception of new members whom you will want to greet personally and by name following the conclusion of today's service. I address you those joining the congregation today. We welcome you fully, personally and publicly into the fellowship of Marsh Chapel. As you affirm your faith in Jesus Christ, renouncing sin and accepting freedom and promising service in His name, will you faithfully participate in the ministries of Marsh Chapel, by your prayers, your presence, your gifts, and your service, we will with the help of God. Beloved in the congregation, I commend these persons to your love and care. Will you do all in your power to increase their faith, confirm their hope, and perfect them in love? can yes. <laughs> keep you, the Lord make his face to shine upon you and give you grace, the Lord lift up the light of his countenance upon you and give you peace through Christ our Lord. Amen.